Clay, I have to ask a question here. I think this is the first time in this episode that the Zindi are having an intra-Zindi conversation. And one of them calls Degra, the guy Zindi, a humanoid Zindi. Mm. I, I feel like we have this conversation all the time. I thought they were... Who are the arboreal Zindi? Those are the sloth guys, I guess, the arboreal ones. Uh, have we ever... Have we encountered a name for the other guys, the guys that look like humans to this point? Because humanoid doesn't make any sense. They're all humanoid except yeah. for the, the swimming guys. So I don't know why they would pick out that. And also, linguistically, it doesn't make a lot of sense that they would call him a humanoid seeing as they just discovered humans. And are they inferring? I watched that scene going, are they inferring that he's a traitor somehow? Or are they calling him a humanoid Zindi and that's a bad thing because he looks like a human? But I don't know. It's where I wanted to start with. I don't think it has much to do with the episode, but I couldn't remember if you remembered if they had a name for that Zindi species to this point. I, if you are relying on me to remember, you, that's your first mistake. Uh, but yeah, I also I also thought that was kind of weird to use that as a slur against him when it's like you know if you're standing on your on two feet, <clears throat> if you if you if you're represented as a guy in a suit, you're a humanoid monster. Yeah, the bugs Zindis are humanoids in the in this. There's no, I think yeah. only. Arguably, even the swimming fish guy is somewhat humanoid looking. Well, yeah, they got arms. They got a humanoid arms and uh, <laughs> rippling and a chest and a, muscles. And a face. Yeah, we're here to talk about Proving Ground. It's the next uh, Star Trek Enterprise episode. So let's take a break. We'll play a clip from the episode, and then we'll come back and break it down. Your world is in jeopardy, and where are your friends? The Vulcans. Where is their mighty fleet? They couldn't even spare one officer. She was forced to abandon her career to remain on your ship. A remarkably selfless act for a Vulcan. But we've come to your aid. We've come into the Expanse when they refused. We're here to help you. If you don't want our assistance, then we'll leave you to deal with the Zindi on your own. Just like the Vulcans have done. Proving Ground is the 13th episode of the third season of Star Trek Enterprise. came out on January 21, 2004. It is four out of seven in the Vulcan versus Andoria arc. It is 14 out of 28 in the Zindi Crisis, halfway through the crisis. Written by Chris Black, directed by David Livingston, in-universe date is known. It's December 6, 2153, coming up on Christmas. Hopefully they have a very Merry Christmas and they wrap up the Zindi arc before then. In this episode, an Andorian ship commanded by Shran unexpectedly appears in the Expanse to help the Enterprise locate the Zindi primary weapon. <laughs> I like how they call it primary instead of the biological weapon that they've been working on. Um, hey, man, th- that time spent in Detroit was not wasted. No. Oh, wait, it was. Well, not for us. Not for the podcast. Not for, not, not for the listeners. No. Um, first... Very minor point to get out of the way. They ruined what could have been a terrific reveal of Shran with the antenna over Archer's head by showing you that Shran was in the episode in the cold open. Why did they do that? That was such a cool shot, and that would have been so much fun to not know who was coming and to be like, oh, it's him. Why did they do that? Just I guess they needed to use him as a hook for the cold open, but... They should have reconsidered. Yeah, thought, they should have reshot yeah. Archer making eggs or something to, to to kill that two minutes of opening because that was that was too good of a camera thing. I don't think I've ever seen them do anything like that in Star Trek, and to have it not pay off the way that they wanted it only, to. It only would have been better if Archer had his back to the screen. 
Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and so you see the antenna come up and then you see the look on his face when he hears the voice or yeah. something. And yeah. Then, you know. Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. Um, I I understand leading with him because when it, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, okay, this one should at least be enjoyable to watch. So I guess he's a good hook. But yeah, it is it is a uh, unfortunate, um, especially because I th- it, the way that they do it, it's purely for the audience. No, right? Like yeah, they, that's that's why that's why it doesn't work at all because it's just a audience joke, not an yeah. audience joke, but a, a trick on the audience and not Archer. Yeah, if they had done it with Archer's back to the screen, it would have been more a, a little bit more on him as well. Yeah, um, yeah, but that's yeah, true. It's, it's purely purely for the audience. Yeah, yeah. I just I know that I know that there's obviously complicated production things. Uh, like they probably wrote the script and didn't think of this camera move as they were doing yeah. it, and then they yeah. shot it, and then they're like, oh well, that kind of that ruins that thing, even as cool as it is. But I thought it was cool enough where they should have just. Come up with a new two minutes of opening and just rebuild around that because guys, we have to get this done in four days. But what we need to do also is spend two of those days rewriting the first ten minutes, and uh, nobody can go home and see their family for the next week. That cold open, that cold open wasn't necessary. You could sprinkle the rest no, of trans no. stuff into it, and it would would have been fine. Very minor point. I like this episode yeah. quite a bit. What do you think about proving ground? Yeah, I agree. I think this is probably um, the best, for me anyway, the best Zindi arc episode so yeah. far. Uh, I could be forgetting some because I'm sure I may have said that once before in the past. But How are, how are you defining a Zindi episode, I suppose? Because some of them have just Archer say, we're chasing the Zindi in this episode. Yeah, yeah no. As this, I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of an episode that is purely about moving that story forward. <clears throat> with involving the Zindi, involving the weapon, uh, coming into contact or, or conflict with, with them in some form. This is the most satisfying one they've done. Uh, and Shran is no small part of that because he's, he's great. Um, the story they tell with him, the, the, the double dealing on his end is really good. Uh, even the ending where I'm not totally sure if Shran sent them that stuff or if it was uh, um Oh shit! What the the female, female, female uh, Andorian? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't her remember name. what her name was. Yeah, <clears throat> whether it was her because she's sweet on Malcolm. You know what I learned? There is a YouTube guy who's a who's like a, a grill master whose name is Malcolm Reed. Oh, nice! And my friend told me that, and I was like, "That's really interesting." <laughs> how much? How much pineapple does he use in his you, recipes? You can use a lot of pineapple when barbecuing in Australia. I know, I know that that's a thing. You can put a little, cucum- uh, a little cucumber, a little pineapple on there, grill it up nicely. It'll be very tasty. I have to say, but, uh, I have to say that um, I think it's good to start at the beginning with this one because I think that this episode's kind of interesting in some ways. This is the longest previously on I think they've ever done. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when we had watched the when I watched the last episode, uh, it Netflix auto played into the next one and it didn't do the recap. So when I when I went back to actually watch it this time, it restarted from the beginning and did a very long recap, which I actually <coughs> excuse me. That's true for me. I was too. actually I, I remember that. I remember I let it run for too long and I heard Shran's voice immediately kick yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. So th- but they I was don't actually do the recap. Happy. Yeah, that's weird. I was happy that they did the recap because 
it it did catch me up to speed in a way that um, I, I generally am not. So, I, I, so I, I have a I have a question. I thought that I thought that the previously on in this episode, it either it either did a very good job of summarizing what was going on, or it exposed a problem in the show in mm-hmm. that I didn't get the connectivity. How do I want to say this? I want to say this without sounding like I don't know what the show is doing, which is not the case. I understood everything that was going on in that sequence. I understand the interconnective nature of this. Seeing it in a condensed form made it seem more like there was a point to what was going mm-hmm. on than having all those separate scenes and storylines strung across 10 episodes. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like, it was it was constructed in a way that I feel that they just spread out the Zindi stuff a little bit too much in that there's a there is a through line to everything going from like finding the anomalies to finding that scientist to, to creating that radioactive waste or whatever they use to track it down to the finding the weapon and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um but I think that the the previously on led into a good perception of this episode for me and that it felt like the Zindi arc was finally doing something in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I just feel it took, I feel like the summary was nice because it consolidated what I felt could have been two or three ep- episodes worth of time. And it just made it be like, okay, this is the story so far. The show has just been killing time to get to this point really, or it's been, mm. it's been realizing that it has a, uh, an episode order that's so large. It has to really, really sprinkle in this stuff in a way that while you're watching the episodes doesn't feel satisfying because it's so little over it. Yeah. And I, I, I felt that was the problem and that's what this kind of rectified for me. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, and maybe this is just the problem with recaps like this in general or the way these things are laid out in general, but uh, it reminded me about what we, what we would say about Discovery where it was, we'd say, if if you haven't watched an episode, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, if you haven't watched an episode before this one, uh, the recap makes it sound like it's been a nonstop action party and all of this really important stuff has happened. Uh, but having having watched all the episodes, you you know how thin, thinly spread this stuff was over the, over the previous episodes. Right. <clears throat> and In Discovery's, it's just, it's Discovery's just, case, it kind of consolidates a lot of nonsense into the one stream of consciousness decision yeah. making that they want you to focus on. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, here, here it was a nice, uh, condensing of everything down. And it does make you wonder why they spent, uh, so much time in the old West when the, yeah, (laughs) when you're watching this thing going like, okay, yeah, I see what's going on here. This is, yeah. All right. You got to get these guys. They got a big weapon. We got to stop that weapon. They got two weapons. It's crazy. Well, uh, primary and otherwise (laughs) is the, I guess here's the other point to it where I think that there's a mistake that they made. What they should have done, I think, and this is obviously hindsight is 2020, but what this episode proved to me is that the Makos are unnecessary in the show. What should have been there from the start is one Vulcan ship and one Andorian ship go with the Enterprise to try to do whatever's going on out here, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think the reason that this episode succeeds is that it finally introduces some sort of relevance to Star Trek as a franchise into this Zindi arc, right? Like, so the prequel nature of these guys, the Endorians, the Vulcans, and the humans somewhat getting along but not really getting along is 
fertile ground for the conflict that can happen along the way to finding the Zindi. You know, like there's mm-hmm. a Shran at odds with the Vulcans and Archer being in the middle and trying to mediate these points of view. There's a lot of, as this episode develops, like the Vulcans are kind of, or the Endorians want to get this weapon so that they can tell the Vulcans to stay away from them, basically. Like there's a race for this to defend themselves. So, uh, selfish decision-making being made, not at the greater good, but for the one species over another type thing. The Makos were kind of introduced as that, that they would be this like stick in the mud or burr in the fur or whatever of the characters that they would interfere with the smooth operations of everything that's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. They haven't done that. The Makos are clearly just a wallpaper type change that the show wanted to make. But I Kirk, just... <laughs> have you ever run out of pre-made tea in the cafeteria while everyone else fights the Zindi? <laughs> Shran, the Vulcans, and the humans have a natural antagonism towards each other that can carry episodes. Yes. Yeah. And I, they should have done it from the start. So that, that would have been the change that I would suggest. Yeah. That would be interesting. I think it's, um, <clears throat> I think having three ships worth uh, might get too cluttered, given that they are doing so much like episodic stuff still. You kind of. That gets tougher to do if you've got to deal with three ships at the same time. It does, yeah. Um, but I totally, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. They, they don't, they, the, the problem with this arc, as we've said multiple times, is it seems like this Zindi arc should be about really putting to the test the Starfleet ideals and stuff in this when they're in this situation that is very much a military situation and that's what the makos are there for is to be that that pressure uh the more military pressure and they just never do anything with it and it's just same old same old except archer's mad all the time um this is the speaking of that this is the first episode where i thought his change in attitude worked yeah i'd agree i think there's maybe one one or two scenes where i thought he was overly angry but the rest of it i thought he was appropriately um curt with people i guess he wasn't yeah he wasn't raging but he was like we got stuff to do we gotta get it done yeah they just they needed a foil because so much of the story is them well i guess this is the key with all star trek but so much of the story is them flying through the expanse that they need some sort of ethical foil or foil of any sort to really get some good drama out of these stories and the makos could have done that but they didn't and um the andorians when they show up i think do uh and it's it is they they do one of those one of those things where it's like um the whole season has been the Enterprise just slugging it out through the expanse and barely holding it together, and then the Endorians are like, we have a better ship. It's no problem for yep. us. Yep. We just we got here. We're much faster. We got here in 25 minutes. You've been doing this for six months. <laughs> but uh, but it's a nice – It's a nice. it feels more um, Deep Space Nine-y because you've got uh, m- these multiple races that are in, in, involved with each other, and uh, the humans and the Andorians are kind of allies, but not totally allies. And you've got T'Pol in there, because which is interesting, because the Andorians hate the Vulcans. Yep. You've got interesting things going. There's a lot of a lot of plates spinning at once, and it makes for a very interesting story. Because uh, in a way that 
it 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 focuses it focuses the drama of the story in a way that these Zindi episodes haven't been focused. Yeah, yeah. Because they were so previously so kind of amorphous as to what they were doing, other than we gotta get them. Yeah, we gotta stop them. <clears throat> we gotta find this thing. That doesn't that only gets you so far. But if you keep doing that, it gets old. But this has, it's got your weapon MacGuffin in the middle. You've got three people or three groups who are all kind of vying for control of this thing. Four, if you want to count the rest of the Zindi and the the quote-unquote humanoid ones yep. to, and their approach to how this thing is going to work. Um, for, for the record, by the way, looked like it worked pretty good. I mean, it didn't explode <laughs> that moon, but I don't think the human race is surviving whatever that thing does to Earth. No, you're not you're not going to plant a flag on that moon after after what they did to it. Yeah, I mean, say they they assume that it fails. The other kind of funny thing that I felt was pretty much of a stretch was when it fails, Archie goes, "Oh, this is all thanks to that that Zindi." So that's a that's a leap, Archer. Like you have no, you have no reason to believe that that's the case. It's going to fail for any number of reasons. Maybe they they had a faulty spark plug or something and it failed. But Archer seems convinced that it's the arboreal guy. But I take your point that uh, the weapon seems like it's pretty good. I think that what I, what I think that this one brings to it is the show in this season have had like a real Darth of good characters we always come up with the joke of like oh it's another vaguely militaristic alien colony that they've got to deal with the show hasn't really had a good time or an easy job developing even the main cast members of enterprise into something Mm. that you can identify as a character shran shran is interesting because people love him i i love jeff combs I don't know about Shran as a character, really. Shran mm-hmm. as a character to me is, as we said when we first got introduced to him, he's kind of just a generic thug character. And he's <clears throat> he's played by a good actor. And this episode gives him a little bit of breathing room where it's it's clear that Shran is not all happy with the mission that he's on. He, he feels a sense of betrayal to be doing this to Archer, even though he is going to follow his instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Shran does is... Because Combs is playing him, he actually feels like a person in this show in yeah, a way that a lot yeah. of them don't. And even though I don't find him particularly interesting, and particularly in comparison to uh, Wayun, who I think is both a well-acted and well-written character at the same time, Shran just sticks out because he's much better than what the show usually puts out for you. And even though I don't find his storyline particularly innovative or unexpected, it's a nice thing to just have a storyline that I can understand what's going on and feel like it's being executed well. And that's where I think that this one uh, succeeds. Yeah, uh, I think Shran, <clears throat> Jeffrey Combs is the best thing that could have happened to that character. Because he plays him, he plays him kind of like Garrick a little bit. <clears throat> where he's got that sort of, uh, everything he says kind of has a little bit of stank on it as far as whether or not he's being fully truthful. Yep. And I think that's, I think that's the performance more than it is the writing on on the page. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a, a, a combination, but um, I think somebody else probably doesn't play him as well. Yeah, yeah, he's. I think what he, I think that just the fact that you can bring a character who has a previous reputation, he has the reputation of the Indorians or whatever, and the Vulcans are involved. The reason that I think. 
bringing those two in the Vulcans and the Andorians into the season earlier. And as I'm thinking, like it's irrelevant, but as I'm thinking of it now, there are ways that you could write that to happen. And they say in episode three of the season, they say, let's split up to search the expanse more quickly and we'll we'll reconnect over here or something in a month. Um, I, I just like the fact that the, like the title of the episode is proving ground, which is obviously talking about the, testing site for the weapon but it's also the setup for the proving ground of what the relationship between these cultures is supposed to be like going forward and like when this right, series actually right. ends that this these this group uh, turns into something called the federation because they learn to work with each other um i just think that the zindi arc would have been much more it, you could get away with the zindi being relatively stupid and cardboard thin as they are if there was a arc of the federation being built underneath that leading yep. to it and mm-hmm. that would take the place of zindi development which we still don't really have mm-hmm. you thought they were going to do some kind of 9-11 allegory but the show is clearly too scared to talk about that stuff so it's like well i don't mm-hmm. want to i don't want to touch any live wires here politically so i'll just do generic star trek episodes with a zindi story in the background but these characters in this culture are semi-designed to be a trifecta of antagonism towards each other they all they feed off of each other and they're not races that get along naturally so it makes sense that this would be the proving ground for how the federation is built on this mission going into zindi space to find this group and it just it really just sticks out to me that this episode proves what the weakness of the rest of the season has been it's just been kind of empty in a way that this show shows you that it could have been about something yeah no definitely i agree with all that yeah, um, because yeah, the the Zindi thing is, it is a pretty thin MacGuffin as it is, um, and that's all it really is is a, is something to chase down. And when you have, like you're saying, when you have something like that, which is that thin, you have to find the story elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and it's usually the journey, like the, the journey instead of the the result of finding yeah, this the, orb of death. The Maltese Falcon isn't about finding the Maltese Falcon. It's about all of the um, twists and turns and, and character interactions that happen in, in pursuit of it. Um, it. This this show is like if the Maltese Falcon was about uh, Humphrey Bogart driving down the highway, stopping periodically to ask if they've seen the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and then every, every now and then someone's like, yeah, well, you know. I saw one guy with a black bird uh, about 25 miles down the road that way. Yeah. Like, Excellent. <laughs> Engage. A Western, a, a Western town. What? <laughs> this week, the Maltese Falcon takes me to Detroit. Do, I, I mean, the, and the, the problem with the, the problem with the Zindi, I suppose, is that the Zindi have really just been, every scene, every, when you think back on it, every scene with the Zindi is them in their little room, and one of them goes, "Is the weapon ready yet?" And they go, "Not yet." And they yes. go, "Why isn't it ready yet? What yeah, the f- yeah. what, what what's happening with the weapon? <laughs> is it ready? Should yet? we make a second weapon? It's- you can't make a second <laughs> weapon. <laughs> it's- but what if we go back in time? What's what's sort of bad? What's good for this episode and sort of bad for the Zindi is that I felt like this was the episode that actually gave us something about the Zindi. I'm not even really sure that it gave us anything about them. It had yet another scene of them bickering about whether or not the weapon was ready, but it also had a testing 
situation. And this Degra guy seems to be the only Zindi that's going to matter. He's the only Zindi who has a name, I think, to this point. So he's is clear- he the guy. Who's he's the humanoid the guy. Test? Yeah, he runs yeah. the test. Um, he's the only. He seems clearly the one that they're going to stress the most because he's named mm-hmm. at this point. Um, I still don't think they give you that much, but I don't really have any. It's, there's not much else to add onto that. Like if if you just have this weak ass Zindi story and the weak Zindi appearances, you rely heavily on Tran and Tapal and Archer to carry mm-hmm. the, make up the difference. And I thought they did here in an episode that's not novel and not totally original in any way. It's just solid no. and it makes it through it. Yeah. Yeah, I I, th- I was, and I don't know if it's mainly because Jeffrey Combs is is so magnetic in when he shows up, but I was more engaged with this episode than I probably have been in I don't know a, a while. Yeah, in this inter- show. interesting. Do do you think the plot was any great? Did you were you were you into the plot, or you think it was just sh- like a familiar face showing up? You're like, oh, I know this thing, I know it's going to go uh, go on. I do think the plot was part of it because I think, but but what makes it work is the in, infusion of Shran and the Andorians, where you are not totally sure what what way they're going to go. Because I I think it works particularly in this series because um, up to this point there has been such a poor record of what happens when you let alien species onto the ship. Yeah. So part of me was like, well, I mean, the Andorians, eh, they're probably just going to not, I don't know. It, it could go either way, really. And, you know, they're kind of kind of making it seem a little bit suspicious, but they're doing a really good job of evening it out by having it having them be uh, uh, upfront about stuff. Yeah. And at this point, I don't know what Shran's ulterior motives could be. And when they when you find out, that he's trying to yeah, I, I figured it out before they kind of came out with it for the most part but still i think it works <clears throat> when you find out it's a really good reason it's a very realistic real world kind of reason where it's like well technically we're not hurting you guys because we still we got the weapon away from them we're just not going to give it to you because yeah. we realize <laughs> we need if it. we have it then that protects us from the Vulcans and you know that that levels the playing field for us and it's so it's it's not that the Andorians are evil characters in this situation right. yeah it's just they are taking advantage of the situation they're still helping to an extent yep <clears throat> helping but, until um, they helping until the job is done and then taking advantage of where the ball lies at the end of the game yeah. i guess yeah and i and i really like the kind of standoff with Shran and Archer at the end because I honestly wasn't sure who was going to blink if anybody was. I I was legitimately surprised that they actually blew the weapon up. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. Although it did, I did think like, what, are they just going to keep this in the fucking garage for the rest of the series? <laughs> it, uh, break glass in times of need. I I agree with you. I think that the what I like about the Endorians in this one is that about about until you're halfway through, I wasn't sure if the suspicion of the Andorians was just because that's the way the culture acts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's hard to tell if the Andorians are being shifty or if they are actually trying to help because they're all very prideful and they're all very um, stubborn and not willing to help people. So even like the uh, 
the female Andorian who helps Reed rebuild his stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of not really being sure what she's up to. She doesn't want to help, but you don't know why the reason she doesn't want to help is. Is it because it's like an Andorian cultural pride thing, or is it because she knows that she's just going to betray these people or whatever? So I think I think it mm-hmm. I think it plays itself out nicely. You Again, can, you can see um, Rick's influence on the series is waning that this time the female Andorian was fully covered up. Yeah, I know. No, not even but, well, hints of passion, I suppose. But they do make a double entendre about al- aligning the, the relays. So at least that's how it played to me. I don't know. Maybe I yeah, just what get was, Berman on the Yeah, what was that line? I forget what they... <clears throat> I forget what he said. I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like, Malcolm was like standing too close to her, and he's like, "Well, then, let's get to aligning those relays or something like that." Oh, I remember. I'm, I'm remembering now. There was another line where she's talking about like the. She's like, "It's not about the size of your missile; it's about the man who wields it, or something like that." Right, I was like, "Oh right. yeah." <laughs> Rick furiously running in, waving a handwritten <laughs> script pages. I got blue pages, <laughs> blue pages. Shut it down. <laughs> We gotta we gotta move the air thing to the beginning of the episode, so we got more time for the entendres. In some ways, I think that the female Andorian and the Archer and Tran relationships, uh, the Archer and Tran relationship. My biggest technical problem with this, and I think it's bigger than technical. I think it ties into Archer, is they don't effectively. I don't really buy that Archer planned to track what they were doing on the enterprise with archer at this point i don't i don't yes. know i don't yeah. know if that's supposed to be archer's <laughs> developing and learning that he needs to keep an eye on people when he's doing stuff but through the entire two and a half seasons we've seen so far i have not been convinced that archer has learned this lesson yet so when the when the episode needs to wrap up and archer's like aha that's why I had Malcolm check what you were doing back there, Shran, so that I could pull the the rug out from under your feet. I go, eh, that feels really writerly. That feels really scripty yeah. that you needed to do that at that point. Yeah, it was one of those things where I, I wasn't totally sure why that was a, a gotcha moment because from the beginning, Archer's like, all right, when they get here, make sure we have crew members watching them at all times. And then the whole story on the ship is how the the female Andorian is like why do you why do you need to be watching us at all times right and then at the end he's like yeah no we figured out what you're doing because we were watching you (laughs) and strand's like i you i didn't realize you were watching us is it is that archer developing or is that just do you know know what i mean no i don't think not not really because it's like why didn't he do i mean it depends on how much how much you want to extrapolate that out? Because, I mean, on, on the one hand, yes, maybe. But on the other hand, like I said, every single other time he's let an alien onto the ship, he's like, these guys seem great. Yeah. Don't hassle them. And then someone ends up either pregnant or dead. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel that there was there is room to say that that's Archer learning something. Um I think maybe if the earlier episodes had been executed better where Archer becomes a little less naive as he was in the first two seasons mm-hmm. that you could be like, oh, he's actually learning to not do it. But it just it didn't feel as you say, it doesn't feel surprising when it happens, mm-hmm. but it also feels um, somewhat sudden and random that that's the key to solve the problem. 
you know, mm-hmm. is that Arch is like, yeah, we watched you and we made sure that we had the code to do what we needed to do. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, found, not, I found it unsatisfying, I suppose. It's not exactly the uh, coded messaging that Scotty gives to Kirk right. to fool Khan in Wrath of Khan. But I, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if it's him learning as much as he's right to be wary of the Andorians. And I guess he's kind of learned in that regard yeah. where they've encountered them enough that he doesn't totally trust them and he doesn't totally trust them here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it works out. I think I, I don't honestly, I don't really have a problem with it because it's, it's fine, whatever well, uh, I, you gotta, you gotta get to that point. I don't think that needs to be like a big, a big belabored point. You know, I, I like that point. I think there's a, there's a sort of sophistication to the point that if Archer is learning this lesson that the Federation isn't about everyone adopting common goals, but it's about learning how to work with people that you disagree with on some way, you know, like mm-hmm. if, if, if it's not about the answer like, is you don't trust them. If it's, if it's not a big, because I think what Star, what Star Trek would kind of expect in the way that the next generation and everything portrayed it is that it's kind of like a kumbaya moment where everyone comes mm-hmm. together and it's like, we're all united and we're the Federation. We all, we all share core values and things like that. I think that what Enterprise did at least a decent job of showing is that that's not really the case with the species early on. They're fairly antagonistic towards each other. And I think that there's... You could say that Archer has learned a lesson that in order to work with the Andorians, he needs to understand how Andorians act. He needs to understand right. that the dog will bite, you know, and by doing right. that, you can, you're enabled, you're allowed to work with them and not be surprised by what might be the outcome. It's kind of like the, um, like the human and Klingon relationship. You, sure. You're, you're, you're antagonistic, but you understand how to work with each other and get the job done later on. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's... <laughs> I mean, it it is interesting <clears throat> from the standpoint of like like you're saying the the traditional Star Trek message is one of of total acceptance and everybody's equal and stuff, but it doesn't really start to feel realistic until you've got this um, environment where these different planets are working together but like they're always like just watch out the klingons are probably gonna fuck us yeah (laughs) and so you just work that into it's like you just work that into the paperwork where it's like you're not you're not offended when it happens right it's just like yeah i knew you guys were gonna do this so we put some stuff in place so we could you know avoid it and and not get railroaded here uh it doesn't mean we hate you or anything well kirk does but it doesn't mean we hate you or anything it's just like that's that's how you are Archer was the. Um, it would be th- nice if uh, if there was a flip side to that, where it was like someone was finally like, "Yeah, we knew you were going to try and fuck a Starfleet, yeah. so we worked it in that we <laughs> that's what the, get uh, ours. That's what the Maquis were supposed to be. That's but, true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the first couple seasons, Archer was the frog in the the tale about the scorpion and the frog, where the the scorpion wants to cross the river and the frog comes up to him and he and the scorpion's like can i get a, can i ride you across the river to get to the other side and the frog says no you'll sting me and the scorpion says i promise i'm not going to sting you and so he says okay and so the scorpion hops on the frog's head and they go out and they're halfway across the river and the scorpion stings the frog and as the frog is dying he says why did you do this you're going to drown as well and the scorpion says it is my nature it's that parable it's just the you have to uh archer was the frog for the first couple of seasons of enterprise and eventually he learned to wear a hard hat so the scorpion couldn't stab him, I think, on the top of his head. 
And that's I what don't this know why the scorpion. Is. I don't know why the scorpion to just wait till they got to the other side before he did that. He's not thinking ahead. He's not thinking ahead. Archer wasn't thinking ahead either, inviting all these aliens onto the ship. Yeah. Um, anything else about proving ground? I a couple of minor weird points. Uh, one that we just talked about. I, I think I found the Archer thing unsatisfying because I was expecting, and I don't know if this makes it a better episode, that trans. Um, tortured conscience was going to play into the ending and i'm kind of glad it didn't because i think that makes it Mm. more interesting but i wasn't expecting archer to say i i watched you type your pin number into the atm and now i know the code (laughs) i I was more expecting him to play up like strand how could you i helped you on vulcan i exposed that spy base and this is how you're gonna fuck me over here in the expanse and strand having some sort of waiver in his devotion or whatever and uh the only other thing, I was convinced when they stole the sphere and they got away that this was all some Zindi plot to put a bomb on the Enterprise or something because they're like, no oh, ships are chasing us. I was like, why are there no, why are there no Zindi chasing these guys? Uh, that was the yeah. only other thing. That Nothing really said about it. I was just surprised by those two turns of events. I actually like, I like that it's not, that it's not Shran, uh, it's not Archer appealing to, to Shran's more honorable nature because i think i think that's i find i find archer's actions here to be the most convincing version of oh archer has changed character now yeah that they've done because it results in an in an action like he's actually doing something that and acting in a way that's different than he would normally have acted instead of just Walking in from stage left with his angry face on, yeah, and it's like, oh, he's a different guy now. He's actually he's he's putting he's legitimately going to blow that ship up for the for the greater good of Enterprise to make sure that that weapon doesn't get out of their hands or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and I I find that to be so much more convincing than anything they've done with him up to this point. For for the most part, like some some of the more at least action wise, some of the more. Um, heady conceptual stuff he's had some interesting character turns but as far as like archer in a pressure situation in command of the enterprise this is the most convincing i've this is the most convinced i've been by his change of character yeah no and i thought bacula was good in this one uh for the most part it's he wasn't overly angry as you say but there is a sense of urgency with what they're going uh through my I, only other thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it, it's. I really just have minor points now. Um, I was minor, mildly concerned when it opens after the deletion episode is something that I liked when they deleted the data. And suppose like, yeah, we found fifty-seven percent of it. We're we're back on. It's like, oh, that's what. What a way to shoot yourself yeah. in the foot. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, my my only other thing. This is not really. This is not an issue, but it's just it's a clarity storytelling clarity thing for me. Was I had no clue how big that sphere was supposed to be? Because I I when they when they show it suspended in space as it's shooting the moon. Yeah, I'm thinking this thing is absolutely fucking huge. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then Archer's like, well, we can put it in the cargo bay, and I was like, what? <laughs> It's like the size of like a car, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It was I there was there wasn't any scale there to, it, it to also, show how big it was. Yeah, and also when they when the sphere launches, it comes out of like a 
mounting thing. Yeah, that for me yeah. implies that it's huge. It can't just be exactly sitting there. Like I, I don't know. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that's just a you know. This is just the baby one. This is the, t- the test. <laughs> the, t- the the Zindi are sticklers for testing. Uh, they they really yes. they really yeah, well want- you know. <laughs> you're gonna shoot the devil in the back. You better not miss. Jim, just kill seven million people the first time and then finish the job yeah, later. Yeah, finish it later. Anything else to say about the Zindi? I mean, I feel I feel I don't have a lot to say about them, but would you agree that this is the most we've seen from them in some way? It felt it felt different, even though they were literally saying mm-hmm. the same things to each other. So I don't know if you felt any different about them. Well, yeah, it, it feels different because generally the scenes with this council are like post-action or pre-action scenes and it's usually just like how could you let this happen or we need people to do x y and z why are you not pulling your way this one they're actually involved with the story that's being told because there's conflict among them about the weapon and stuff and so it, it it feels like it's more integral to the story than just uh a a prologue or a tail end thing where you know Ragin tells them that she got body scans of everybody for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Yeah, right. I don't I don't have anything else to say about Proving Ground, I don't think. I no, didn't, it was good. I liked d- it. Yeah. Um, final thoughts, I think, will be a good place to catch up because I'm not sure I've explained why I like this one as clearly as I wanted to, but I'll wait until final thoughts. So let's take a break. We'll play a clip, read patron thoughts after that, and give our final thoughts about Proving Ground. So... Anything we need to worry about? Your lateral array was out of alignment. I corrected it. All other systems are functioning properly. I'd take this ship into combat myself. Even with our primitive weapons? It's not the weapon. It's the soldier who wields it. Thank you very much for listening to the show today. We talked about Proving Ground. If you want to support the show... You enjoyed it enough to want to support it. You go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to do it. A couple of bucks a couple of bucks a month. And you get extra content, extra podcasts. You get the ability to vote in polls. You get the live streams occasionally that we do. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's like 100 podcasts out there now that you can sign up for. We're at the Voyager goal, but it's always nice to add on a little bit of security blanket to that because we've already lost a couple of patrons, bringing us even closer to not being at the Patreon goal for Voyager. So <laughs> if that is something that uh, you want to secure... For the future, much like Shran secured that orb in the belly of his ship, you should give a couple of bucks to the patreon.com slash the Penske file. And as always, a special thank you to our captain tier supporters, Tark Latif, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Sammy Custer, Andrew Charlog, Matt Ross, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Christian Pouch, Cardinal Doomsday, Nick Sergi. I realized I listened to this episode or the past episode. Um, I do read these names in the patron comments very quickly. I realized that as I was listening to me read it back, but... There are so many of you guys, and which is fantastic, and we thank you very much. But uh, I'm not trying to get through this to not do it, but there's just so many names. I do appreciate it. I apologize. I read them so quickly. We can, do a, we can do a Patreon episode where we just slowly read everybody's names. I have capital M, little I, little K, <laughs> little E, space. Uh, Matt Ross, Michael Pond, you get double I knew someone. I knew someone named Mike once. <laughs> Mike. Pond, pond, com, communists, yanks. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to our Patreon coverage of what the fuck was that? Omega Glory. 
Omega uh, to, glory. to understand that one. Oh, I'm sure you all do. Christian Pouch, Cardinal Doomsday, Nick Sergey, Grim Santo, Sean, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Reyes, Vault 13 Hero, Jordan Cooper, Darth Mosk, Russell Oach, HS28, Stephen Minton, Dark Zajac, Paul Orozco, Jacob123, Point Extra G, Johnny Franceschi, Mike Harris, Captain Brazen, Eric's Antoine. Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Nick the Rat, Corey Martin, William Scheisler, Rayhan Jaffer, G- uh, Grappler, John Zorn, Zane Majors, Dave Davies, Soylent Blue, Retail, Patrick Seba, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunters, EWNF Remixes, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan, Mark C., Matt Houston, Jonas, Loki, does he do? Beal. Does ahead. he do a remix of Getaway, Earth, Wind, and Fire song? That's a great song. I only know the one we danced to at the weddings. What is that? September? Uh, In September? Yeah. Yeah, Beals. Getaway has a fantastic horn line at the beginning. Very good. <laughs> Two Vicks Must Die and Olivier Pardieu. Thank you very much. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show, Captain after or After the Love is Gone. After the Love is Gone. Very good song. Yeah. Slow jam, kind of yacht rocky. Good stuff. Well, let's get ready to go on and on to our own <laughs> thoughts or patient thoughts first, I think. First, <laughs> Proving Ground. Patrick Seba says, I still submit that Jeffrey Combs is spitting pigskin when he refers to humans, but I suppose that's too derogatory. Looking at those, well, he'd also, he would probably call that against the, uh, the Tellarites, who are actually piggy people. Looking at the Endoran uniforms, I suspect that a full HD render of this would be unkinder than TOS. They were wearing lace napkins, sure, but not hefty bags with leather cod pieces. Save your dancing lady boners, Talus. Reed's looking for something juicy yellow and with spines that double as with roughage. <laughs> Any episode of Strain gets the bump that helps us overcome the Enterprise crew's Captain Renault level shock to discover that there's treachery going on in his establishment. Three Andorian lovesicles out of five. Did we talk about Malcolm and that woman enough? Mm, I mean, we didn't really talk about him that much. I hope she comes back because I was actually... She was great. I liked her. Yeah, she was excellent. I th- I was I was kind of into their back and forth. I thought it was pretty well done. It was the, the most uh, restraint they've showed with that stuff in yes. this show. You mean the 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 sexual tension that's roiling underneath their their yeah, discussion like this of one, buttons? This one didn't have that that scene where they just uh, abscond off to the torpedo bay to to bang. Yeah, off screen. Uh, like I was I was episode. expecting. You know, he's like it's a it's a tight fit in this Jeffrey's tube, and he's, he's you know cut to him like laying on top of her <laughs> as they're like trying to put a screwdriver into the wall or something. It's like no, this it didn't it didn't happen. She was. I thought the sexual tension was, in the way that you thought Archer was well portrayed, it was probably the best portrayed version of that, where it's not completely overt, but it's it's there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It just didn't have the show pointing it out. I, I liked her. I, I know that that plot generally exists just to give Malcolm and Archer a reason to get one over on Shran, but I did think that it was a nice supplemental story to Shran and Archer working their differences out uh, in a similar story that this is, um, I, I liked, I liked when, um, when she said, when they were talking about their family histories and she was like, your father must be very disappointed in you. Yeah. And Reed was, Reed's like, yeah, I think he is. <laughs> the other minor arc that we didn't talk about in this, but I enjoyed was Shran going around, giving everybody an Oprah talk. <laughs> He's, when he talks to Tripp and he's like, your sister died. He's like, God. He's like, you, she did. He's like, my brother died. I know what it's like. I, I enjoyed those little moments. That's what I, um, I think that's what Combs brings to it because the stuff Shran was saying was pretty 
like stupidly predictable in yeah, terms of that yeah. kind of stuff, but he, he brought a kind of um, pathos to it for some time. Let's see. Nick the Rat says, Proving Ground, longest previously seen on ever. Wish they didn't show Shran in the cold open. Archer with the antenna would have been much more impactful. Tala sure makes my antenna blue. Is Andorian wine made of Andorians? We don't call it earthling ale. Archerite is probably one of the most funny gags in all of Trek. Who sent them the schematics? Shran Atalus was Mayweather or Philip Flocks in the episode Proving Ground Reaps the Combs Bump. Four out of five. I would like I would like to um I don't know I don't know if I it's issue a uh, a warning. But um just, not everybody needs to make dick jokes now <laughs> in their comments. <laughs> We can thank Kyle for that. Um, <laughs> it's starting to uh, uh, disseminate out. Oh, Jesus, now even I'm doing it. Inseminate. In, in mm. um, what the hell was the there was something? Oh, the um, maybe outside of that pregnancy episode, which I thought was funny, but apparently people think that's offensive. Um, this was. The Shran pretending to be the Andorian mining crew, but also yes, getting annoyed good. by the joke and then really starting to fail at doing the thing because he got angry was yeah. really excellent. I thought that was really kind of funny where Archer has that's to remind also, him that he's acting and he's like, oh, right. Yeah, I can't get angry at this guy. That That's also, I feel like Jeffrey Combs yes. is pulling that off. Yeah. Yeah. He's very good. That was, very that, good. That was funny. I, I, I like that. And then even after it's over, we're not sure if he's made up this mining company, but his final line is like, no one speaks to the Andorian mining company. (laughs) That was very good. Uh, Next one is, oh, sorry, Cerulio says, Proving Ground, before Enterprise premiered, the promotional material claimed that we would see the very beginnings of humans exploring the galaxy in the events immediately preceding the founding of the Federation. Since 10 years seemed pretty quick for the Andorians, Vulcans, Tellarites, and humans to all decide to form an interstellar government together, I expected we would see the Alliance members quite often, but I was wrong. Archer and Shran's partnership has been the only time we actually see how the Federation got created, and I always like a Shran episode because of it. I'm a pretty easy audience to please, and I like when we get to see the origin of something in a prequel, like apparently Starfleet's evil admirals were an Andorian contribution to the Federation. Four out of five. It's a good point. He's a general, though, I guess. Just uh, I take your point, but it's the details. The devil's in the details. <laughs> um, it's true. And we talked about that. I, w- I would have liked to have seen Federation stuff from the beginning. Point extra G says, Jeffrey Combs doing anything is amazing, but I'm starting to think the Shran is my favorite role of his. There's a reason that so many different franchises have an ally that you can't trust fully. I wonder how Shran explained losing the probe to his superiors. This is one of the highlights of the season. Uh, would you agree that Wayone is better than Shran? I don't know. We haven't finished the season or anything. I, I have a, just because Poindexter says the Shran might be his favorite role, which I can't disagree with, but I will. I just think that Wayune is, um, you can't disagree with it, but you'll tell him why he's wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I can't disagree with liking Shran more, mm-hmm. but I feel that Wayun is, like I said, there's a depth to Wayun that I don't think Shran has really. Um, yeah. DS9 was just a better written series, I think, about that stuff. But um, the the nebby bureaucrat who is also sycophantic all the time mm. is kind of an unusual role and Shran is just generic thug guy which is not bad he does a great job at it but it's a different thing yeah i think Shran stands out not only because it's what we're currently watching but also 
um, he's like the the perfect amount of of heightened kind of over the top without it going too far. Like uh, what's his name? The other one he plays on Deep Space Nine, the Ferengi guy, the Ferengi Brunt. Brunt. He's way over the top and to the point where it's like, yeah, this is fun, but you know, I don't yep. need to see this every week. Uh, Shran is like the perfect, the perfect dialed in setting for for Jeffrey Combs's more over the top proclivities. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Shran, but Shran, I think is a more subtle portrayal. I think he's a, and he has more to do. I think oh, sorry, are you saying that Wayun is the more dialed in version? No, Shran. Shran, I think is the is the perfect setting for Jeffrey Combs's more over the top kind okay. of sensibilities. Yep. Um, He's he's heightened, but he's not too far over the top. Yeah, Wayun is is a lot more is a lot more subtle and and nuanced in what he's doing and his role in the story and gotcha. stuff. So I can see I can see why Shran stands out to people over someone like Wayun. But I do think Wayun is probably a better written character. Yeah, and I I think in the context of Enterprise, Shran sticks out quite a bit, uh, mostly just because of the performance there. Yeah, and because he he's a he is a character, right? Yeah, on a show that is lacking lacking characters. characters. Yeah, I know that Flox wasn't in this one. I think Mayweather is. I think Archer tells Mayweather him to, is. Yes, yeah, I think he tells him to punch it. But that's like that's a lot of Mayweather appearances are just him punching in something into the computer, and then the ship goes there. Um, it, it's a series that's really lacking in characterization. I think Let, you know. I, I was going to mention this earlier, but uh, I'm surprised when you you were talking about how you know traditionally the show has um, a vaguely militaristic group that shows up as an antagonist. How did we not notice? Maybe we did mention this at the time, but I forgot. How have we not mentioned how funny it is that in this season they just moved the vaguely militaristic group onto the ship with the Makos? The Makos, yeah. They wanted yeah. to get closer Which to obviously, them. <clears throat> obviously... They didn't do anything with them, at least not up to this point. But I, that is that is pretty funny if you think about it. Where it's like they keep running into these vaguely militaristic things, and this time it's like let's just put them on the ship so they're all there all the time. <laughs> Berman's a Brandon. I love that vaguely militaristic group you guys did this season. He's like, which one? He's like, yes. <laughs> I need I need more more of that on the ship. High collars. I need high collars and low zippers. What is what is yeah yeah I. Yeah, I, I I think we've we've covered that uh, enough for the the characterization and everything. Latte Librarian says, "Why is Jeffrey Combs' makeup so much worse than the other Andorians on the close-ups? It looked like pieces were flaking off of him. Give him some Did blue pretty, eyeliner, please. Yeah. Four kilos of Archerite out of five. I did notice though. Uh, he the, so the guy that he talks to, his higher up, uh, was not as." as all in as Jeffrey Combs was. Cause you could see that the pink of that dude's like eyelids. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Combs goes right up to the eyeball. I assume it's, um, allergies or scares or something. Maybe there's, Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause Combs, Combs, even his eyelashes are blue. <laughs> like I, I, I was looking at his eyes. I'm like, Oh my God, they painted his eyelashes. Yeah. Yeah. Just dunk your face in the the blue tub yeah, of paint. Yeah, it's, they set the makeup gun to Shran and shoot <laughs> him in the face. <laughs> Royo says an episode that actually takes advantage of the fact that Enterprise is a prequel. 
Seeing the founding members of the Federation at each other's throats is frankly interesting, and it's a damn shame the show wasn't all that interested in world building. Still, Archer is the weak link here as he starts the episode so trusting that he berates his crew for wanting to take the reasonable precautions against the Andorians right before taking reasonable precautions against the Andorians. The man is bipolar to the extreme. I can't tell if the show wants him to be extremely clever or if it wants him to learn a lesson, but it seems that the show can't decide, so it achieves neither. Archer is trusting, but he isn't. He wants his crew to be more trusting, but they won't be. So it seems like the only character growth that's happening is with Shran, 3.5 out of 5. Matthew Ross says, Proving Ground, it's always good to see Shran and Jeffrey Combs doing the most untrustworthy snarling. However, despite the adventure to find the Zindi weapon, the Endorian's motivation to find the Enterprise to... to find the Enterprise to find the weapon, I found to be a bit tenuous. Did they really need to fly all the way after Enterprise in an extremely hazardous portion of space instead of trying to reach out to the Zindi directly? The rest is the angry archer and double-cross predictability. With this weapon, it's clear Earth and the Enterprise need better tech. A perfectly serviceable bridge episode. Three laser balls out of five. Cardinal Doomsday says, Talos should have given Reed a pineapple, then she could have successfully hacked the ship. Always good to see Shran, though, and I did enjoy his inner conflict. Travis Mayweather says, No Andorian ever called me pink skin. Three Andorian mining, mining consortiums out of five. Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, the... Do you think Shran's inner conflict was appropriately gauged here? You like that you didn't you, you you didn't have Archer appealing to him at the very end, but you thought that there was enough Shran uh, conflict, like inner conflict, for him this episode. Yeah, I think so because yeah. he he was, you know, he, he they are reluctant. I mean, allies isn't even. I don't even know if you would use that word. It's getting closer every time he shows up. Um, but he's he's working for his government and his people he's yeah. not working he's not working for the betterment of the human race and i think they play that line well enough where he's making a decision um based on that not based on his uh, uh, uh affection for archer or or whatever you know he's yeah his his it's 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 almost more like a, like a ducat decision but not as cynical as that. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it, yeah, I think it works well. Yeah, he's a better person than Ducat. I, I, I think that there's. I think one reason that one thing that I didn't stress enough is that I, I do think that this is a pretty subtle enterprise episode in terms of how it, um, how it's portraying what potentially could build into an alliance between these groups. So, for instance, it's like. The Andorians and Shran are doing what they think is best for Andoria because they're relatively isolated at this point. There is no greater cause to be there. However, the the conflict for Shran comes from the fact that he owes Archer, which is just the beginning stages of this reaching out of this sort of xenophobic, nationalistic, nativist outlook that all the species mm-hmm. have at this point. Mm-hmm. And while they don't like each other, there is a working relationship being built and it's a shame the show didn't do it anymore because I thought that this one was a good, it was a good step in showing how that would all process and like the, the kind of antagonism that they could have where it still feels believable that Archer and Shran are going to get over this, you know, like I thought that it was done well enough where I, I can understand after this is over, they can still become 
allies with each other and it's not a personal thing at, at the end of the day you know mm-hmm. um mm. i thought it was good i the show has not done any of that stuff and i think that when they do do it shows like this explain why it would have been a good idea to do more of it if you're going to do it yeah yeah it's 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 unfortunate that they couldn't do couldn't have done more of it up to this point because yeah it works it's good it's good stuff yeah i think you yeah uh, we'll talk about it going forward, I guess. Tom Hickey says, automatic plus one for Jeffrey Combs. The guy seems to have fun with these Trek characters, emoting through sometimes goofy makeup and prosthetics, and in turn, it's fun to watch. And with the Andorians, the fully functional antenna are always a cool detail. Where this episode in particular falters is when it moves away from the Enterprise and the Andorians and deals with anything Zindi. They sit, they talk, they test, they watch, they complain. When your big bad gets upstage as an immediate threat by inert anomalies earlier in the episode, that's not great. Still, Jeffrey Combs... Four out of five. Yeah, I was kind of expecting this episode to go a little differently. I thought this was going to be, uh, you know, they're making their mad dash through the through the expanse, and they were really going to go through the uh, run the gamut of what the expanse has in store for them. Yeah, and that was going to be like their the proving ground element for them. But this one, it was just like they hit one anomaly and fucked the ship up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh they pulled pulled them out of there i like that that effect sequence though though of hitting the anomaly i thought it was things are blowing up effectively it has a little green force field that knocks archer I, over or whatever i would love to see that sequence without the special effect because for some reason i was drawn to the one stunt guy who, who's like okay now you gotta step back like you're surprised from the panel like you're seeing this big green thing shuffle down <laughs> shuffle down okay sparks sparks okay now jump over the thing yeah <laughs> this green thing it's impressive chill fear it's like the yeah. it's like george lucas directing talking to jar jar or something um yeah i which do you prefer the spheres or the zindi um i mean well i mean <laughs> i guess the spheres haven't really done anything yet um you're talking about the big spheres, like the yeah, the, gigantic in the spheres ones? which are creating the anomalies. Yeah, um, I uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they kind of have to go hand in hand because, well, I don't I don't know if the spheres really do anything on their own. Uh, um, you, you, he, the do you, you do you think the Zindi know what the spheres are? I guess to clarify this, I'm of the oh I don't I'm, know. I'm of the under, I'm of the impression that the Zindi are not the sphere builders that they keep referring to. Yeah, I wasn't thinking that they were, but at the same time, because of the spherical nature of their weaponry, yeah. I thought maybe <laughs> there was some sort of connection there. Yeah. Um, I find that like, just the, the sphere mystery to me is much more interesting than the Zindi plot. I'm like, what are these spheres? Yeah. These are kind of weird. Sure. Why? why they, and we've seen enough of them. They went inside one. They landed on one. Those religious zealots got pissed off because they landed on one. It's like, oh, what's what's going on with these spheres? This is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, the Zindi stuff just, doesn't seem the same. Yeah, it's just the spheres. There's no drive for yes, it. Like, yeah. there's no dra- narrative drive. It's they're cool. It's a cool idea. I'm curious to see what ends up happening with them. Um, but like by them, when when I say they can't really exist by themselves, it's because there's there's nothing driving the enterprise to figure out what they are or or towards them well they're they're there they're there as a supplement to the zindi stuff yeah um and obviously without the zindi stuff 
I don't really know what you do with them. But. Is is the show going to tie? We've been let down before by Enterprise doing this. Is the are the the spheres have to tie into this somehow? Right? Like, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, they're not just a booby trap that's put out there for the sh- the ship to run into. I'm I'm curious because I have a hard time understanding what the connection could be here, mm-hmm. unless the spheres are. Unless the spheres are somehow related to the Zindi thinking about what's going to happen to them, is sphere related? Mm-hmm. In the sphere, hopefully, they don't do something like the humans were the sphere builders, you know, like an alien type storyline <laughs> yeah. or something like yeah. that. But I, I have no idea. Cal, yeah, Cal- I don't, I don't know. They, uh, they are um, mysterious enough still that it's hard to track what the what the plan is. Yeah. I just I, I'm at this point I'm having a hard time understanding how they're going to combine. Not that they can't do it, but I I, I don't really see any connection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zindi haven't talked about them or anything. Kyle Barrett says proving ground elevates Strand to fan favorite status and inserts much such momentum and inspired conflict into the Zindi arc that it should have played out across multiple episodes. I agree, it should have played out across the top the first ten episodes of this season. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, and, and into the Zindi arc, it should have played out across multiple episodes. Strand's appearance does a good job of linking the pre and post Zindi attack errors of the show, and him tricking the crew shows that the characters have slightly evolved since the last time they met. Reed wants to take Talos to his quarters and open her up like a Christmas, like Christmas to see what color she is on the inside, but has also learned from past experiences to know that she's tricking him. Archer is still too trusting, but his once unfathomable penhetery is now an intentional trait, and he, too, uh, and he too puts a backup in place in case he's manipulated. The only element I dislike is Trip, and I feel he should still be angry and want revenge, something Shran uses to trick him, maybe gaining access to the engine, and it's only then that he changes his attitude after seeing the trouble it's gotten them in, rather than having this be off-screen character change. Four surprisingly small Zindi weapons out of five. Hey, man, it's tough to be mad when you're at Margaritaville with DePaul every night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kyle, you're setting a bad example for everybody else. <laughs> I would agree. I agree with most of that. I um, yeah. I don't. I don't have anything else to add. That's it. That's the final comment. Thank you. Uh, thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about Proving Ground. We had a lot of four out of fives on that one. Clay, what are you going to give Proving Ground? Um, <clears throat> I also am going to give it a four out of five. Yeah, I agree. I like this one. This was a weird one because. I think something to compare it to is Similitude, which is the Trip Clone episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, similitude is a much more interesting idea. But I think this episode sure. is almost, it's not as good, but I was engaged by this one more, you know? I think when it, like looking at, once you get a little distance from the episode, looking back is interesting because I think what was strange about Similitude is that I liked the concept, but I wasn't really engaged by the episode. You know, I wasn't like, sure, oh, what a great, sure. what a what a great thing going on here. This one felt different. It just felt like it was a. Um, when it was over, I was sad that the Andorians had to leave. You know, I was like, please come yeah, back and continue yeah. on this journey with the Enterprise because I think you're adding something to it. Yeah, I think I think the thing that stopped me from giving this a five, well, on top of the fact that it's it's just I wouldn't call this like an all timer yeah, or anything. Yeah. I think the thing is, is this is what every episode of the show should be. Right. This is like, this is kind of like what the baseline for this show and its characterizations and interactions should be this episode. Yeah. So that's why it's, 
when it's it's a perfectly serviceable story that with a couple twists at work and really good performances, it really it stands out because it kind of makes you a little bit bummed out that the show isn't this right. more often. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it should be this by this point, I think. There's no reason that the show is not. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We'll both give it fours. Proving ground. It was a good one. It was an interesting Zindi episode. Uh, everyone's saying that the Zindi arc gets better in the second half. We'll see where that comes from. Uh, we're in the second half right now. Clay, do you have anything just gotta you read. Say? Just got to read the first five books. Books six through eight are fantastic. Nine through 12 are terrible, but 13. He comes back to form. Yeah. It's when the mother of stones shows up. <laughs> Patreon.com. <laughs> Slash the Penske file. Thank you very much for listening and supporting the show, guys. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, we, I don't know what week we're in, but on Rotten Horror Picture Show, we have the abominable Dr. Fibes probably out at this point. Last um, week, I think. Yeah. Last week. Mm-hmm. This and is a badass this week. Badass is back with uh, coverage of season four or the new Batman adventures where all the designs and everything are different. Mm-hmm. And on Patreon this month, we, ooh, it's almost the end of the month. Uh, if it's, will it still be May when this no, comes out? Last month will, so last month is five, I guess. We're in the new month. You'll have six, but okay. five will just have come out. Yeah, so we will be up to Friday the 13th, part five, a new beginning on our uh, Amanda, my coverage with Amanda of the Friday the 13th series. When did you record the first badass of this season? Uh, was it a long time ago? It was a while ago, yeah. I, mean, okay. I, was, I, don't, I can't remember specifically what Sean said, but there was some, he said something. I was like, is this recording like 2018? <laughs> like it was, no, it, it wasn't like, that far back. It, it was so long ago. It was, I honestly don't know. I, we, we couldn't, we haven't been able to, to get into a, like a, a rhythm a, with it. A rhythm yet where like, just about to get there so i wanted to wait until i had like three or four episodes done so we could have a little bit of breathing room no no that's fine i was just i because i didn't know when you had started and whatever he said in that i was just like wow i feel like this is a a long time ago that with what he's talking about hold on on one second i'll look it up really quick here uh i don't think i've seen i have not seen that new adventures of batman show i don't think unless i Unless it was mixed in with like WB replays of the Superman oh, stories yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it was. Um, it originally uh, it debuted as like a, a an hour block with the new Superman show, um, and I don't know where it ended up in reruns and stuff. We recorded that on March fourteenth, so two months ago. Okay, not, not that, as far not, back as I thought. Yeah, actually. not that bad. That was further back. Yeah, yeah, I thought it would have been like. Uh, yeah, maybe even last year or something, but that's, that was a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. The badass is there. Doctor Fibes is that the uh, the Ron Horror? The Abominable Doctor Fibes, starring Vincent Price. It's a it's a very uh, it's a very fun, campy movie that's actually kind of a precursor to Saw in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend checking it out. You can, it's not available to stream, I don't think, but you can find it on YouTube for uh, for no money. Is Saw on the list? Must be. I don't know, actually. I imagine it would be. It should be. None of the sequels, but at least the original Saw should be on there. I'd be, I'd be expecting that, or uh, I wouldn't be disappointed to see it on there. That's kind of a hard one to control F4. It because is. Those three letters show up pop, a lot. Popular of word. 
Popular arrangement. Uh, Like Texas Chainsaw. It looks like it is not on here. No, that's too bad. We, I would say we we will probably do that one as a uh, <clears throat> as a uh, wild card. I was you thinking, do all the Saw movies on Patreon. One day I actually 13th. was thinking about that um, once we finish Friday the Thirteenth, but um, I don't know if I have the stomach for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of that's a lot, lot of, of head gore. crushing going. Yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys can check it all out. It's at thepenskyfile.com. It's on YouTube. All that stuff. The usual things. Uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support us there I think we're done thank you very much for listening the next Star Trek episode is Strategium I think is that how you pronounce this yeah Strategium Strategery Strategery Strategium it's got Degra in it so we're going to learn more about him thank you very much for listening guys we'll see you later <laughs>